I went to the elementary school and um, my mother was so worried about me because there was a lot of anti-Semitism. When they discovered we were Jewish and I killed Jesus and I came home and said, who's Jesus and why did I kill him? And she said, Babula, don't worry. And she pinned a round button on me. And I looked at it and I said, what's this? And she said, that's a James Michael Curley button. And I said, who is James Michael Curley? And she said, it doesn't matter. Wear the button and smile. So I wore the button and I smiled and nobody ever hit me again. He was the mayor and he also ran for mayor from jail and won. So he took care of people. So, you know, my mother said I should like him. I said, fine, I like him. Our friend Evelyn Lerman wrote a loving biography titled A Dressmaker's Threads, The Life and the Legacy of My Russian Immigrant Mother, which was published in 2013. In July 2018, I sat down with Evelyn in her cabin in Winslow, Maine, to discuss the biography she wrote about her mother. As you will hear, I used the excuse of talking to Evelyn about her book to talk with Evelyn about her life as well. Evelyn describes her mother, Celia Gorfinkel, as a remarkable woman, who in 1920, with a sick husband and an infant, escaped from the Tsar's army in Russia, walked across Europe from the Ukraine, and sailed to Ellis Island. Celia was a dressmaker who worked 12 to 18 hour days at her sewing machine, and whose love for education motivated her to put Evelyn and her two sisters through college. Our warm, loving, and dear friend Evelyn passed away on March 17, 2021. Ev, as remarkable as her mother, was 95 years old, married to Albert for almost 74 years. Evelyn was vibrant to the end. We are all very sad, but have been reflecting on what a wonderful, fulfilling, and productive life Ev had. A journalism degree from Simmons College, graduate degrees in education and human development from Harvard, a teacher and later an administrator in the Brookline, Massachusetts public schools for 27 years, author of four books, traveling, including cross-country with Albert, in their RV in their late 80s, teaching writing to adults and directing a reading program for third graders while in her 90s, the blessings of her children, her grands and her great-grands, Camp Caribou, and most of all, Albert. Our entire family is so blessed to have been a part of Evan L's life. Carol was 19 years old when she first met Evelyn. And soon after, Carol adopted Evelyn as her chosen mother. Evelyn and Albert also adopted us. We visited Evan L at Camp Caribou in Maine almost every summer, beginning in about 1972, for over 40 years. Melanie, Dave, and Ben also had wonderful relationships with Evelyn and with Albert, too. Evelyn was a role model and a friend for us all, but most especially for Carol, whose loving relationship with Evelyn was very special. The altarescues all feel the pain, Carol most deeply among us. But it was Carol who so wisely referred to this loss as a part of the circle of life. We love the entire Lerman family and know that there are so many wonderful memories to sustain them all. I'm so glad to have had this discussion with Evelyn a few years ago and to publish the discussion now as a tribute to our friend. So Evelyn, tell me about the biography about your mother and tell me about your mother. When did she come to America? Well, as you pointed out, Howard, she came in 1920. And I have to stop a minute just to tell you how much she loved you. 
And if she were here listening, she'd be laughing at the two of us talking about her. But she came in 1920 with my dad, who was already ill from having served in the Army. He picked up arthritis and a terrible asthmatic condition. So he was never well after that. But Jewish boys were conscripted into the Tsar's army for seven years, whether they liked it or not. And he was in Russia? In Russia. And he uh, escaped, ran away, picked up my mother in uh, the Ukraine, and uh, they... I'm sorry, he ran away from the army? The army. Uh And he came back to the Ukraine, found my mother. I'm sure, I can't remember exactly how the timing went, but at that point they had a little baby, an infant, my older sister Miriam, And by the time they got to America, she was a year and a half old. So it took them a long time because they walked across Europe. They walked across, so starting in the Ukraine. In the Ukraine, walked all the way across Europe, got to England. Obviously, they had to get on a boat somewhere, but they got to England, and uh, they had forged papers, which the rabbi in the community was able to get. In the Ukraine? In the Ukraine. Uh Uh, actually, it was Ukraina, she used to tell me, Yekaterina Slavskukovanya, which translates into Catherinesville. Catherine the Great. Yes, and that was the city, that was the little shtetl, and they were actually Jewish ghettos because the Jews were only allowed to live in certain parts of the country, so they were all in this ghetto. But they left. the reason that they left uh, to come to America was that my mother had four brothers here, in America, who wrote to her and said, come. And they were not very generous men, they were pretty awful men, but they did send enough money for them to come. Now, as an adult now, I say to myself, so now I have a question, Mamachka, but you're not here to answer it. How much did it cost? But as a kid, it never dawned on me to ask any of these questions. So unfortunately, I don't know as much as I should know. Before we get too far away from your mother and father walking across Europe, it of course is reminiscent of the immigrants today walking across all of Mexico, also to come across water, come across a river to come to the United States. Well, your, your, your parents were not traveling legally. They probably were not permitted to leave Russia. No, no, they had no papers. Right. They had nothing. But my mother was very spirited, and even yes, though she, she, was. <laughs> <laughs> she didn't have the language, she had the affect, and for some reason or other, she talked her way into getting on that, what she called the last ship that left for America. I'm not sure it was the last ship, but it was 1920, and shortly after that, the United States closed down to immigrants, and none were allowed, not from Russia, for sure. So it was certainly not today's world, but there was plenty of bad feeling. When they came to America, it was quite an adventure because they went right to uh, Worcester, a small town outside. Pardon me, they came into Ellis Island, is that right? Into Ellis Island, which, by the way, my granddaughter Rebecca and I visited um, maybe five, six years ago. And uh, she came from Boston, uh, and I came, I came from Boston, and she was living in New York. And we met at Ellis Island, and the two of us looked at each other, and we started to cry because she loved my mother, and of course I loved my mother. And we just held hands, and we cried all the way through Ellis Island. But we did find their names on the plaque, and, and we were very excited to be there. The most important thing about Ellis Island that I remember was the huge, almost an auditorium, huge building where the immigrants stood and went through the, the lines to get to America. And they were started out with hundreds and thousands of them, and then they narrowed them down to these little lanes, and they went. And when you got to the end, you had to answer the question, what is your name? If they didn't like your name, they changed it, Americanized it or they couldn't spell it or whatever. But they came through, and uh, my mother said to my father, don't cough, don't sneeze, don't say anything, don't answer any question, just smile. (laughs) Did did they know any English? No, no English whatsoever. But she um, barreled her way through, you know, one way or another. What was their education? My mother went to the sixth grade, and my father probably the same. I have to tell you, I've written this too, 
that I have a sadness about my dad because she was so powerful and wonderful and exciting and interesting and lovable and miraculous. And he was sick and quiet. And But in retrospect, I'm now as an adult, uh, quite an old adult, I look back and I say, what I missed in this man, yes. because he was smart, he was thoughtful, he was a visionary, he was charming, he was sweet, he was kind, he was such a wonderful man, and all I knew is that he was sick and he annoyed me all the time. <laughs> yeah. Because he'd say, do this, do that, do that. And in Yiddish, when he said, you'll go to the store and buy me black olives, I'd say, why does he order me around? When I took Hebrew as an adult and I began to understand the context of the Yiddish, you'll take me is the same thing as asking, will you? So he was actually asking, will you? He was asking, and I was hearing an order. Yeah, interesting. Isn't that interesting? So so he was also, he was in the army. He was brave enough to escape, to to, to run away. And smart enough to marry my mother. Smart enough to collect your mother, marry your mother. Did he marry your mother before going in the army? Well, that's what I don't know. I think he must have, because when he came back, they had a baby. So, oh yeah, oh, in those days, (laughs) you had to marry. No, no such thing, no fooling around there. No. So they came to Ellis Island. Came to Ellis Island, got through. They were met by an uncle who took them to Worcester. And then my mother went to Worcester, Massachusetts. As a dressmaker in the cleaning business of one of my uncles. And my father, who couldn't do much, but he knew how to press. So he became the presser. And they worked for my uncles. My mother really didn't like my uncles very much because they were not nice men. They were... Nasty. These were brothers of her your, brothers. Her brothers. Yeah, her own brothers. All her brothers. Four brothers. Smart, uh, workmen, hardworking, bright, brilliant. Actually, most of them. But so stupid in the sense that they wouldn't give each other an inch. Had they done so, they would have owned Worcester. Yeah. Were they were they in business together? No. No. They fought each other. They yeah. had conflicting businesses. So my mother never knew which one to work for, which one to. It was very difficult. And my father hated them because he said they weren't gentlemen. And they weren't. And he was a perfect gentleman. They also, our brothers also came from Russia. From Russia. And how many years before? Uh, well, they'd been there a while because they had houses by then. Mm-hmm. And they had wives. So I'd say maybe five, ten years okay. before. Because they were much older. She was the baby of eight. <laughs> and yeah, she was the youngest. Of eight? Of eight. And how many in your father's family? Uh, he had, I think, 13. Whoa. Yeah, but none came. Really? So I never met any of my grandparents. They not, None of them came to this country. Yeah. And uh, so I was determined to be the best grandmother that ever lived. Well, and you are, and a great, great grandmother as well. A great grandmother. And so they were in Worcester. They were working. They weren't very happy. No. So my mother and father decided, well, after they, they had to pay them off, the, the fare for the ship. So they worked until they paid them off. And then when they were free, they said they were going to move. So they moved to Jamaica Plain. Now, you have to know that my mother couldn't have known this, but she could afford Jamaica Plain. So we lived in a upper, the third, second floor of a two-story house and on a street with a streetcar that rumbled by, which I remember correctly. Do you remember the name of the street? Yes, uh, South Huntington Avenue Uh in Jamaica Plain. And we lived there. And what my mother couldn't have known, but we discovered very quickly, is that we were the only Jewish family in Jamaica Plain, as far as I knew, and certainly the only Jewish family in the schools. So each of us, my sister Mimi, who was now, you know, older, uh, went to a different school. My sister Blossom went to a different school, and I went to the elementary school. And um, my mother was so worried about me because there was a lot of anti-Semitism. When they discovered we were Jewish and I killed Jesus, and I came home and said, who's Jesus, and why did I kill him? And she said, Babula, don't worry. And she pinned a round button on me, and I looked at it, and I said, what's this? And she said, that's a James Michael Curley button. And I said, and who's James Michael Curley? And she said, it doesn't matter. Wear the button and smile. So I wore the button, and I smiled, and nobody ever hit me again. And James Michael Curley was a Boston politician? 
Right. Was he mayor? He was the mayor, and he also ran for mayor from jail and won. <laughs> He's a good politician. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. Uh, he, but he was a good man because he stole from the rich without question, but he gave to the poor. Robin Hood in his time. Yeah, so he took care of people. Yeah. So, you know, my mother said I should like him. I said, fine, I like him. So when did your mother learn English? She went right to school as soon as she could, as soon as she was able. She went to night school to learn English, and uh, she learned English. She, she had a lovely vocabulary. She had certain things she couldn't pronounce. A W was a V. Yes. <laughs> uh, and that's because of the uh, Russian and the Yiddish. So uh, she'd say, I'm going to eat a Wiener's Wiedwefer. And Which I, was? And I'd say, but Mamashka, if you can say Wiener's Wiedwefer, you can say Venus Wheat wafer, <laughs> and she said, "I did." <laughs> you know, so the, certain things she couldn't say. She couldn't say one sheet. It came out as you probably understand, not a sheet. So she used to say, "I'll go to the store and I'll buy two sheets," which she could do. And then she said, "And I'll give them back one." <laughs> and that's how she figured yeah. out how to get around. Yeah. <laughs> Your mother was. Learning, learning English, yep. had difficulty pronouncing certain words, uh, and was working as a seamstress, is that right? A seamstress, a, yeah, a dressmaker. And in those days, they had a little shop in uh, Hyde Park, uh, Hyde Square. Was this your, your mother's place? My, my mother and my father. So he, the, their own business? He was, yeah. And it was a little store in uh, Hyde Square in Jamaica Plain. And it had a front room and a back room. And in the front room was where the people came in with their clothes. And there was a, a table, a counter. And you could, uh, they would say, I want to have this done, that done. So if a man came in and he had a suit, my father would come out and he'd have a uh, uh, tape measure around his neck. And he looked like a tailor. Yes, exactly. And he'd say, what would you like to have done? And the guy would say, blah, blah, blah. And they, so we stand in the three-way mirror, the guy, and my father would take out a piece of chalk and go chalk, 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 chalk. My mother, in the meantime, is looking through the door to see where he's making these marks because he doesn't have a clue what he's doing. <laughs> but women were not allowed to touch men like that. And she couldn't be the dressmaker. Really? So he had to be the tailor. So as soon as the man left, my mother would say, quick, quick, Mayaka, bring it. And then she'd erase his chalk. I remember her doing it with her f mouth and her finger. And then she'd go chalk, 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 chalk. And then she'd go in the back and start. So, so. You, you used the Yiddish word. What, what, you said quick mea cup? Mea cup, she called Ma him. His name Meyer. Yeah. Mea cup, little Oh, Meyer. his name was Meyer. Meyer. Yeah. Meyer. Um, and that's how she did the. Now, if it was a woman, she was fine. She yeah. could do it. But the man, they had to pretend he was the. They did have a real tailor whose name was Mr. Feinstein. And Mr. Feinstein used to <laughs> take a needle and he would sew with the needle, clean his teeth with the needle, and then scratch his crotch with the needle. Oh, nice. <laughs> and I used to watch In him. In that order? And, yeah. And I used to watch him and then I'd say, oh, Mamashka, will he go back to putting it in his teeth? And she'd say, shah, babala, shah, meaning quiet. It's not your business. Yep. So you were, you grew up, or you were born in Jamaica Plain. Oh, yeah. I was born. And in the Yeah, I was born in the Evangeline Booth Memorial Hospital. It was a Catholic hospital. And uh, my sister Blossom, she was born there, too. But, uh, yeah, I was born in Jamaica Plain. And uh, the store was in Jamaica Plain uh -huh. as well? And then when did you move, when did the family move from Jamaica ah. Plain? What a good question, Howard, because I am going into the sixth grade, and my mother takes a look at me, and she says, Hmm, Babel, you will never meet a nice Jewish boy here. We're moving to Brooklyn. <laughs> so I said, Oh, fine, where's Brooklyn? Oh, just... Well, Brooklyn was, what, tw tw 10, 15 minutes away, but it was a world away from Jamaica Plain because the... Jewish population there was probably 60%, even 70%, and all the rest was Irish Catholic. The Kennedys were in Brookline. And the they? Kennedys were from Brookline as well, absolutely. 
So we moved to Brooklyn, and I went to sixth grade to the Runkel School, which is very funny because that's where Albert and I both ended up teaching Amazing. at the Runkel School. Yep. And then I went, I went to a Baker School from there, but that became home base. Yep. So I entered sixth grade at the Runkel School. And because I was tall and a little bit ungainly and a little bit heavy and, and had a Jewish thing that, you know, I'm, I, it's terrible to be Jewish, et cetera, et cetera, I couldn't make friends with any of the Jewish girls because they wore matching cardigans and skirts and st- socks, and I didn't have any of those things. They didn't come off the boat from Russia. No, and I looked like I came off the boat from Russia. But they were all dressed to kill. My mother would say for puts. They were all dressed up. And I didn't have the money, so I found a girlfriend who another tall and gainly didn't dress right, and she was Protestant. So she didn't belong either because you had to either be rich Jew or poor Irish Catholic, and she was poor Protestant, and I was poor Jew. We found each other. We are still the dearest of friends. What is her name? Ellie. Uh-huh. Ellie Arnold. And I found her husband at a dance. We went to the... You found her husband for her? Yeah. At the war, <laughs> during the war, we were dancing at the Officers Club, and David Ladson Fraser III asked me to dance, and I said, what an interesting name. And he said, what's your name? And I said, <clears throat> Evelyn Gorfinkel. And he said, oh. And I said, but I have somebody I want you to meet. And I danced him right over to Eleanor Arnold Fraser. <laughs> Perfect. No, Fraser was her married name. Eleanor Bullfinch Arnold was her maiden oh, nice. name. Bullfinch from the, the Bullfinches. But they didn't have any money. And I said, David, this is Ellie. And they married. That's amazing. Yeah. So how many years later did they marry? Oh, shortly after. Because we were, we were in, I was in college at the time, and she was working. And, uh, yeah, we were all married by the time we were 21. <laughs> it's very different from today. So before we skip from Runkle's school in the sixth grade to college, so what happened in between? When did you meet Albert? Or, but before we get to that, so you focused on your education. Uh, you were in sixth grade and uh, oh, junior my high. My mother focused on our yeah. education. She sat us down and she said, you're all going to college and don't even think about anything else. That's what you're going to do. And where are we going to go to college? The college we could walk to, which was Simmons College on the Fenway. <laughs> and that's where we were going to go. Now, why, why did she focus so much on you, go, you all going to college? Because that's the tradition in Judaism is education. And in the old days, of course, it was all Jewish education. In America, it was you're going to become an American and you're going to be educated as an American. So she discovered Simmons, and she said, that's where we were all going to go, and we all did. All three of you? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and she, how could you afford going to Simmons? She couldn't afford it, so she went to see the, I was going to say the rabbi, she went to see the president. and she, Of Simmons? Of Simmons. Bancroft Beatley, <laughs> who had a marvelous Kennedy accent, and she just adored his accent. And she went and she said to the secretary, I need to see the president. And the secretary said, I'm sorry, Mrs. Gorfinkel, but he doesn't see people without appointments. She said, so make an appointment. <laughs> the secretary says, yeah, but, but. And my mother said, I'll wait. So she did. She sat there and she waited and she didn't say a word. And finally the secretary said, all right, he'll see you. She walked in and she said to him, do you have children? Yeah. Would you like them to go to college? Yeah. She said, I want my children to go to college and I can't afford it. Do you have a wife? Yeah. Does she dress? Of course she dresses. She said, I'll do all her dressmaking free. Just take my children to Simmons. So she made a deal with him, and she paid by the week. (laughs) She paid by the... Did she actually pay? Yeah, but she paid, but by the week. Yeah, amazing. Whatever. Five dollars a week, whatever it was. I don't know. Didn't. What was the difference in age between Mimi and Blossom and you? Yeah, my sister Mimi was six and a half years older. Blossom was four years older. So they were... They were buddies, but they, they didn't really love each other a lot. They were they pals, um, but they used me as, believe it or not, the mediator. I was four years younger, and I'd say, they'd say, well, what do you think? And I'd say, oh, well, maybe he said this, and that made sense to me, and you said this, and that. My sister Blossom said, you're a mugwump. A mugwump? A mugwump. <laughs> you never take a position 
you're always looking at both sides. And I said, so that's how I really became a mediator. And you are. My sister, yeah. That's wonderful. My sister taught me. So, <clears throat> spaced out over time, you all went to Simmons. Mm-hmm. And you ended up as a professional, which we'll talk about. Mimi and Blossom, what, what did same. they do? Yeah, same. They both went to graduate school as well. Blossie became a professional placement educator, which she did at Northeastern. And Mimi became a uh, dietitian. Today they would say nutritionist. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I became a teacher. And my mother said, Babula, you should go on. She said, you could become the president. And, and not of Simmons, the no, president. Right, Shimon, the, the president. president. Yeah. The president. And I laughed and I said, well, I don't think, Mamushka, that a Jewish woman is ever going to be president. She says, you never know. <laughs> and you do you never, never know. know. <laughs> you do never know. So um, you focused on your education. Your sisters did all at the encouragement of your mother. When did you meet Albert? High school. In high school? In, in he was a Brookline. Year, Brookline High School. He was a year ahead of me. Uh, which I love, the fact that he's a year older. <laughs> and, and I was what they called a marshal, because I was a goody-goody, and we wore armbands with an M, and we stood in the intersections of corridors so that when your kid is coming down the corridor, has to take a left or has to take a right, they have to go in back of the marshal, and the other group coming the other way goes in front of the marshal so that they're not bumping into each other. That was the way it was. Mm-hmm. And you walked in single file. So I'm standing one day in this little corner, and I'm looking around, and all of a sudden somebody hit me, which is a, I don't know how you would describe it, but like a hip to my hip, and I went flying into the corner, and I look up, and there is this man, young boy man, standing there grinning, and I said to myself, what a stinker he is. And that was Albert? That was Albert. He hip-checked you. Yeah. That's it, hip check. <laughs> hip check. Yeah, that's how I meant Quite an introduction. In- yeah. And intentionally, he just wanted to get your attention. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, and he did. And he did. Yeah. 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 So, anyhow, he started dating another woman, not me. And, <laughs> and another guy was dating me. They were friends. So we were a foursome. We dated him. And one day we all went up to see my mother, who was at her sewing machine, and she held court. On Beacon Street? On Beacon Street. Second, second she floor? Held, second floor. She held court there. And we came up to visit. And after they all left, she said, Babylo, you like the boy you're dating? I said, I do. She said, no, it's not the right one. It's the other one. <laughs> I said to my everlasting shame, Mamachka, in this country, mothers don't choose husbands for their daughters. <laughs> and she responded, what a shame. <laughs> but it turns out she did. She did. So how did that change come about? I'm not really sure. Uh, Albert and Gilda, her name was, she was a hot redhead. By hot, I mean hot-tempered and sexy-looking. That's hot, She, yeah. she was interesting, uh, very much unlike me. But, <laughs> You're very interesting. Yeah, but she was a whole different model. And uh, they were dating, and for some reason they had a battle, and she took his high school ring and threw it at him. That was Gilda. That was Gilda. And so that was the end of Gilda. Jerry, in the meantime, liked me, and I liked him. He was a nice man. He wasn't Albert, but he was a nice man. And But he was poor, and his parents were all over him about, don't marry a poor girl. So they kind of pushed him into taking out rich girls. So that, that was not you? No, no, that was not me, which he did. Yeah. He found a very nice yeah. rich girl, and Albert was kind of hanging loose, so he went off to school, and then they took him right out of school, put him in the service, which is a whole other story. And he started to write me V-mail. 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 I don't know if you know V-mail. It was a large piece of very tiny, thin paper, almost sheet-like, and you had to write tiny, tiny, tiny because you couldn't have any more paper, and then you folded it on the side. Yeah, yeah, yeah and, I remember that. Right. And I wish I had saved those. Like tissue paper. Tissue paper. Yeah. And I used to write to him, and he used to write to me. So we wrote for the two years that he was away, and by the time he came back and he found me up at girls' camp as a girls' counselor, uh, he came back, and we just took one look at each other, and we said, yeah, this is that it. it. And so where was Albert was in Europe during the he war? He was in Europe, and he was... He was wounded twice. He has uh, two Purple Hearts, um, and he's got lots of war stories, which he never really tells. So where was the girls' camp? Uh, it was Tapoingo. So, so how did your mother afford to send you to girls' camp? What well, was she? Well, here's the thing. My mother learned from her customers that, that you went to girls' camp. That's what you did. So when she had 
a nickel she sent us to private camp when she didn't have any money I went to Girl Scout camp so it turns out that I went to camp from the age of four four my two sisters took me by each hand and we all went to camp together you were four yeah I was four well, when did your father die my father died when Bill was a year and a half old. So your father was still alive at this time when you were yes, going off at four. Yeah, but he was four. never home. My mother, I think, well, was an interesting marriage. <laughs> interesting, funny word. He adored her. He called her Lichtik, which means the light of my life. And she called him Meika. And I could tell, even as a kid, that he worshipped her, but she wasn't really interested in men. She didn't like sex, she didn't like men, she liked her children, loved her children, loved her customers, loved working, that's it, that's all she knew. And she worked 12-hour days at the machine. Um, so to make her life really palatable, worth, you know, that she could enjoy, she generally didn't keep him home at all. So he would go to Arizona, he'd go to Florida, any warm climate where he could be comfortable and yeah. take care of himself. And he liked that because then he didn't have to wear heavy clothes yeah, and he yeah. could and he found compatible men. He liked to play cards. So that was the life that they lived yeah. when he was well. And so back to you going to camp at the age of four and you went to camp every summer. Every summer. Amazing. Beginning at the age of four. And beginning at the age of four, despite the fact that you were sent away, you were sent away with your sisters, so you were with family. But your your love, your attachment to your mother oh, did not so diminish. Oh, no, no. Oh, got stronger. Yeah. But I have to tell you that one year when she came to visit me at camp, she was always late because she always had customers. And, she, and I was sitting on the fence crying because everybody else's parents were there. Was this up in Maine? Yeah. They were all in Maine. I don't know. I went to five, six different camps. And I'm sitting at, I went to the camp that Laurie went to. Mm -hmm. And now she's thinking that's where Ellie will go. So. <laughs> Anyhow, sitting on the fence and waiting for her. And she got out of the car and she ran over to kiss me. And I heard an accent. And I said, Mamishka, when did you develop an accent? I had never heard it. Because at I camp so you had heard... I was so used to it. Yeah, you were used to it at camp. You had her, you, you didn't hear any accents. No, at a camp, all of a sudden I heard an accent, and I thought, look at that, she has an accent. Isn't it strange? It never knew. <laughs> and she wrote, she wrote with an accent. And she wrote with an yeah, accent. Every, there was no punctuation, just line after line. She wrote yeah. long lines, line after line after line after line. And never, you never know if it was a question or a comment, or, but that was the way she... And so you grew up, you, uh, you described high school, and then you went to Simmons, and then after Simmons, where did well, you go? Well, I married Albert like a week after graduation, mm -hmm. and uh, we said, <clears throat> my father-in-law, who was very strong, very strong-willed, opinionated, a good man, but difficult. Daddy Paul. Yeah, Daddy Paul. And he said to Albert, you can uh, marry her after she graduates, but you have to go back to college. And Albert said, I don't have to. I want to go to work, because Dad had already started his own business, and George left college to work with him as Ali's brother. And uh, Albert said, I don't want to go. Yes, you do. You're going back to college. So we said, okay. So after we married, we went on a honeymoon, which Dad provided magnificently, a car and a place. I mean, he was a generous man, difficult, but generous. And where was the honeymoon? Uh, we went up to Canada. We went to um, the places Ali will remember better than I, but we drove all through Canada. We had, we had a lovely time. And on the way back, we stopped. At, Mother and Dad were staying at a um, an inn in Maine, and we went fishing with them. And, we had a lovely time. And then we had an apartment in, oh, we went back to Penham, and well, there were no apartments because wartime. So we had the front end of a huge apartment. We had the, what, what would you call the part where it sticks out? I can't remember what it's called, but that we had that piece mm -hmm. of the living room. And this was at Wharton in Pennsylvania? At Wharton, at University Penn, of Pennsylvania. Penn, yep. Yeah, in Pennsylvania. And uh, in, in that little area, we had a bed, a sink, one sink, a bathroom sink, a john, a refrigerator, and a couch. 
And that Sounds was like our, a New York City apartment. That was our apartment, <laughs> yeah. And that was and if you wanted to wash laundry you had to go downstairs and find there was a tub down there and then hang it out on the yeah, it was really, So this was still during wartime. Yeah. So Albert served two years in Germany and he was on his way to Japan mm-hmm. when the bomb dropped. Oh, so so he so, went in so he went in late really. Yes, yeah, so well he was young. He yeah, was eighteen. Wow. So, so Truman saved him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He came back from. The, he never went to Japan. So, so the war was just ending when he uh, yeah. went to college. Yeah, and he came or up completed to camp. college. Yeah. yeah, so we had another year and a half at Penn, and we were we were the fraternity. Uh, what do you call it? The ones that w- look over the kids. House parents. Yeah. Sort well, of. Not yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, because you were the, older. the girls, we were older, supposedly. We knew what we were doing, which we knew nothing. Yeah. And the girls would come and drink too much, and then they'd be on their way up to the bedrooms, and we whoop, we <laughs> grab them and we'd take them home. So we might have saved a few. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Who knows? We, that was our job. And so awesome. uh, Albert, uh, after and college, went to business? Then he went back to work. And then he went to work with, his, with dad. his dad. He had always helped out in the factory. He loved that. But he went to work with his dad. So George was the outside man. He was very charming and traveled and he did that. And Albert understood machinery and men and he was an inside man. And I was the uh, uh, writer, which I loved to write, and I did a trade journal, 10 years of the factory. I wrote up all the stories like you're doing now. Of the uh, people who worked there, really, who were all um, very nice people, lovely people who came from Portugal and Spain, and uh, they were all ca- Irish Catholic, not Irish Catholic, but all Catholics. And, and where was the factory? Uh, Cambridge, Massachusetts. Yeah, and I used to write this story. So I found it one day. Ten years, we called it hoofprints. <laughs> Well, because they were making shoes. Yeah, and... Uh, so they were shoe manufacturers. Yeah, the ice skates. Ice skates. And roller skates. Yeah, sports manufacturers. Right. And so um, you uh, were writing this trade journal of sorts mm-hmm. and uh, starting your home. Mm-hmm. And, and going crazy. Because you weren't doing as much as you wanted to do. No, and I was... I joined all these women's organizations, which Howard, they were totally disgusting. Because all they did was talk about each other and talk about why you got the wrong table at the luncheon. And it was so dismal. And I said to myself, I can't. This is not my life. I can't do this. And my babies were growing. And in fact, they were in, you know, junior high school, high school. And they say, hey, mom, you know, get a life. And uh, so one day I read a little brochure about the fact that Harvard was offering a course for Plan M. And M meant mother. And they were looking plan for M. Plan M. They were looking for mothers who were looking to improve their educations. And uh, I had a bachelor's degree, and I said, you know, that's what I want to do. I want to go back to school. I want to go. And so I went, and I said to my uh, children and my husband, uh, please sit down. We used to have family conferences. And I said, please sit down. I want to talk to you. I'd like to go back to school. Well, the kids almost jumped out of their skin with excitement. Yay, she's out of here. (laughs) And I said, but it means, you know, you're going to have freedom, but you're also going to have obligation because I won't be able to cook, I won't be able to clean, I won't be able to take the little stuff to the laundry, and we will do it all. And how how old was Susie uh, and Bill at that time? Well, Bill was in the sixth grade, and Susan was a freshman in high school. Perfect. So, so it was perfect. They were old enough. Mm-hmm. And they took over. Yeah. They did it all. They were. It's where they became so competent. Yeah. Because they had to. They learned how to cook. You, you gave clean. them the opportunity. Yeah. And they were marvelous. They never let let me down. They took care of everything. And Allie took right over. He said, go, go, just leave us alone. So you went back to school. Yeah. I went back to school and got my master's in education. And then I was lucky enough to intern in the town of Brookline at the very school that I went to. So you interned at Runkle? I did. <laughs> <laughs> I did. And um, I taught there for, oh, probably 10 years. And then Albert has a whole other story because he wanted to do what I was doing because he loved what I was doing. Well, he became a teacher when he sold the business. And so 
Go, going back to your mother and your father, um, what, what role did they continue to play in your life all through this time? Well, my father was dead by that yeah. time. And my mother was not interested in men. She said, one God, one family. She didn't want any men. And she had a lovely man. We loved him. And she said, no, nobody is ever again going to tell me what I can and can't do. I'm going to do just what I want. And she never, she was stunning, but she never wanted any part of a man again. Was she continuing to work she all did. this time? She worked right up until the time she died. And how old was she when she, she died? She was 75. And she said, I died with my boots on. Yeah. And then she did. And yeah. she, that's what she wanted. And when she was in her final throes, because she had a stroke, and she said, Babela, this is it. This is not. And she pulled the tubes. Yeah. And they put them back, and she pulled those tubes. She was a strong woman. Oh, yeah. She was not going to live like that. Yeah. A strong mother and father to do what they did to leave Russia, to leave the army, to leave Russia, to leave the Ukraine, to travel across Europe, to come to America not speaking English. And he never got any credit. Yeah. From any of us. That's so interesting. Yeah. And I say, Daddy, I wish you could hear me now, because now I understand that yeah. you were really there. Yeah. But he was, he was a shadow in the back bedroom. So interesting. Yeah. So, uh, you taught at Runkel for 10 years. Albert taught with you for parts of that time. You I, were an administrator as well in Brookline. I might have I might have taught there even longer. And then I became a uh, uh, assistant director of English. And I did that job for a few years. And then I became director of English did that job for a few years and then that's all in the Brookline Public School Brookline system Brookline Public Schools and then I worked at Baker mm-hmm. as vice principal and teacher but the interesting thing about teachers I was a teacher of language arts and social studies because they needed me I wasn't that wasn't my role and Albert was math and science but he said to me maybe how many years ago now well anyhow at the very beginning of the computer industry he said, Ev, we have to learn computers. Mm-hmm. And I said to him, I don't even know how a telephone works. <laughs> what am I going to do with a computer? Oh, yes, you will learn. So he slept me to school, and we took a course where the guy wasn't teaching us how to use a computer. He was teaching us what a computer did with the ones and the zeros. Yeah, right. Hey, how is <laughs> I didn't have a clue. And Albert, in the meantime, is having a ball. He's playing around. He's learning how to program, and he's having a marvelous time. And we had to take a test. Well, I didn't know anything, so I memorized what I had to memorize. I took the test. I got like an A minus. Albert, who never looked at the material, never opened the book, and on the computer took the test. He got a B plus. <laughs> in the meantime, he knows what he's doing. I don't have any idea. <laughs> So when we got back to school, they asked him if he would be computer teacher. And uh, he took over and he taught grades three to eight to six. These were early days of computer. The computer, early days, and loved it, and math and science. And I was still doing language arts, and then they said they needed a computer teacher at the seventh and eighth grade level, and I said, I'm not good enough. Yeah, yeah, you'll be fine. So fortunately, we had... Uh, Harvard and MIT across the river. So my kids were Harvard and MIT kids, and I said to the kids, listen, I don't know as much about computers as you do because you've all been trained since you were born. So anytime I'm doing anything and you think, "Uh uh-uh, you know better, just nicely don't put me down, but say, may I? And I'll say, sure, and then you take over the class. (laughs) That's wonderful. So I had the kids teaching. And then when it was too much for the kids, I'd say, okay, who's got a dad or a mother at Harvard? I said, get them. And this was all in Brookline? All in Brookline. So I had all the Harvard and MIT guys and women coming to my classroom to teach. How about the foresight of your mother bringing you to Brookline? Can you imagine? Unbelievable. Can you imagine? And so much of your life prospered there. Oh, my God. Well, she just took a look at me, and she saw Blossom and Mimi had been dating, but she wasn't thrilled with their dates. And she says, no, 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 my Babel is going to have the pick of the crop. (laughs) And how she knew. Well, and then she picked the crop for you. Oh, yeah. Then, yeah. 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 So we're, we're in Winslow, Maine. How do we get here? Well, when George died, Albert's brother died, and Daddy Paul wanted to 
sell the business. Well, he didn't really. Albert wanted to sell But anyway, between them, they sold it. And Albert said, Dad, go to Florida, relax, enjoy. He said, I'll find a way. And Dad said, yeah, but, you know, you sold the business. What are you going to do? And he said, don't worry about it. In the meantime, I was teaching, so we had an income. And I said to Allie, don't rush. You find what you want to do. Well, he liked what I was doing, so he became a substitute. And the principal, my principal, loved him. And she said, I want you full time. So Brookline took him on without a certificate. Mm -hmm. And he got his certification while I was teaching. And during that time, like morons, we decided, hey, we got the summer free. Wouldn't it be fun to have a summer camp? (laughs) Easy to do. (laughs) What did we know? Nothing. Uh, So then we just started looking and we saw this ad and we came up here with Bill in the winter and came down the road where the snow was up to the, you know, your earlobes. And uh, we get into the peninsula and the peninsula opens up and Albert looks at it he said, oh, this is a boys camp. (laughs) What a vision. He said, "Let's, let's do it. And Bill said, okay. Oh, that was the end of it. That was it. So that was 50 years ago. 50 years ago. And the camp at that time, your, your first summer, how many boys were 70. here? 70. And how many are here this summer? 257. And it's magnificent. Oh, magnificent. And so you ran it for... Not very long, Howard. What, we were 10 or 15 to, years, Yeah, right? 15 years, Max. And Bill and Martha ran it... 35. For 35, and now... Lori and Alex and Bobby are running it. They have been for the last five years, but slowly, and they're... Uh, and Jerry's been involved? Uh, to some extent, yeah. not, not a lot. But yeah. Bill, in his wisdom, told Jerry he has to spend two years working. Then he can decide if he wants to come yeah. to camp or not. What a team. And Jerry is working uh, for a company that places counselors. In, in to summer camps like this. So I said to him, what would you learn, Jerry, about yourself in, in this job? He says, Graham, I never knew I knew so much about camp. Yeah. He said, I, I know it all. I said, so they're really impressed with you. He said, they are? No, they should be. They yeah. should be. So uh, reflecting back, the vision of your mother and your, your father as well, and your mother in particular in so many ways, not only the vision to come to America and to come to Brookline and to choose Albert for you. <laughs> you couldn't ask for more, could you? Um, so reflect back for a minute on, on what, what she meant to you over your lifetime. Oh, Howard. <laughs> That's a big question. When I, we lost her, that whole year, I was in such a funk, I was so depressed, and I was teaching. And I said to the kids, please forgive me, I've just lost my mother. If I'm not my usual charming self, and they said, don't worry, we'll help you. We'll help. And they were. They were marvelous. If I was down, they were up, you know. And uh, Allie, too, he understood. I said, not you, darling. I love you dearly, but I, I can't. She was such a huge piece of all of our lives, not just mine. Bill will tell you if you ask him about his grandmother. He adored her, and she adored him. And each of the kids used to go to her house weekends. They took turns, all the grandchildren. And she would take them all out for breakfast, lunch, and dinner because she didn't ever cook. And she, <laughs> she didn't ever cook. No, and I, I did very little myself. She taught me beautifully how not to cook. <laughs> and they they would go out on Coolidge Corner and she'd introduce, this is my Babylon, this is my Susala, this is my Billa. And everybody would say, oh, and she'd say, you know, talk to them, tell them stories. And uh, and you could walk to Coolidge Corner from her apartment. Yeah, and, yeah. They, yeah, and they adored her. They just adored her. And, and we adored her. And Albert, oh, my God. If I would go and I'd say, Mamushka, he's doing this, he's doing that, she'd say, Babylon, there's not one thing wrong with Albert. <laughs> Everything that's wrong is you. Oh. <laughs> and I'd say, Mama, it's not fair. She said, I'm telling you, that's the truth. Now, whether she believed it or she didn't, I don't know. But the point was, she forced me to see his point of view. And my mother-in-law, on the other hand, if I went to her and said anything, she'd say, you don't have to tell me, I live with a Lerman. <laughs> so she knew exactly what was wrong with Albert, which was funny because they took, yeah. well, you, your marriage cannot fail when you have parents working for you like yeah. that. You yeah, know? Yeah. 
So that's why we just And there's had, nothing wrong with Albert. So, no, <laughs> 71 years, Howard. Yeah, 71 just, years. Well, this has been wonderful. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. You're such a delight. More information about Evelyn can be found on our website, www.bookwormsinthewild.com, which also includes links to the four books written by Ev. Thanks especially to my podcast team. Dave created the podcast with me and is my producer. Ron is responsible for art direction and design for the podcast, our website, and my bookmark. Melanie has provided overall creative direction, and Ben and Eden provide additional inspiration and support. And, of course, Carol is my muse. Almost two-year-old Jakey continues to encourage the podcast, as well as to delight us every day. Life is grand for Jake as it should be. Jake's cousin Bob is about to join the squad any minute now. Bob may actually be on the production team by the time we publish this episode. The entire wolf pack is also responsible for introducing me to most of our guests, as Carol was today, many years ago. Thanks also to the great anchor team for making it free and easy to create the podcast. And thanks as well to A.J. Falari, who is working with me on the editing. And if you liked our podcast, please subscribe. And in any event, let me have your comments, either directly on the podcast or at bookwormsinthewild at gmail.com. Follow us on our website, www.bookwormsinthewild.com, on Instagram and Twitter at bookwormsitw, and on Facebook at bookwormsinthewild. And message me to tell me what you're reading, or email me at bookwormsinthewild at gmail.com. Looking forward to seeing you on the podcast next time. Thank you.